Okay, uh, are you ready for a little Shakespeare now? Yes. <laughs> Blow winds and crack your cheeks. Rage. Blow, you cataracts and hurricanoes. Spout till you have drenched our steeples. You sulfurous and thought-executing fires vaunt couriers to oak-cleaving thunderbolts. Singe my white head, and thou, all shaking thunder, smite flat the thick rotundity of the world. If you know Shakespeare, that's King Lear. And uh, out on the blasted heath, when he's been driven insane by his foolish and selfish actions. As he says a little bit later, I have taken too little care of this. Well, sounds like climate change, doesn't it? Typhoon, typhoons, hurricanes, wildfires. How often do we have to have a 100-year flood every couple of years? The hottest ever, the biggest ever, and on and on and on. We live in a time of climate superlatives. And all indications are that it's only going to continue getting worse. The weather has taken to smiting flat the, th flat, the thick rotundity of the world, as Shakespeare put it. And that is Shakespeare's maddest scene, mad in the British sense of insane. And, you know, Shakespeare was a playwright who kind of liked insanity scenes. The great British Shakespearean actor Laurence Olivier starred in King Lear very near the end of his life, and he required that a live rabbit be put on stage so that he could catch it and eat it alive during that scene. Until the animal rights people saw it, and he got foie gras instead. <laughs> The emotion behind this maddest of Shakespeare's scenes is a rage at utter powerlessness after realizing too late that he's really screwed up. I have to wonder how many people felt exactly like that in Puerto Rico, the Philippines, North Carolina. The fact is we human beings have really screwed up. The only question is whether or not we, like King Lear, only have the possibility of raging at the storm. It's a good question to ask ourselves, I think, at the time of the autumnal equinox, the equality of day and night. And I want to consider two aspects of the human spiritual impulse behind these sort of celebrations. One, transcendence, getting outside it all, and the other, how to use vision. After all, meaning, purpose, wonder, awe, joy, the transcendent, these are all goals that religions strive for in their celebrations. One way that religions start down that road to these overwhelming, overawing emotions is by building cosmologies and creation myths. They tell us what the gods are like and what we have to do in relation to those, the stories. We need to look at our cosmologies and creation myths and see them for what those are. They are ways that we build walls around little segments of an almost unimaginable reality to try to figure out how do we see it? How do we know it? Traditions build temples and mosques and churches 
And these are monuments to other people's mystical experiences. Ralph Waldo Emerson told us that a long time ago in the early 19th century transcendentalists. But the human mind yearns to have a personal mystical relationship with all that is. As we say in Unitarian Universalism as one of our sources, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. It's an ineffable experience. It's often an unspeakable experience. It changes your life, but it remains a completely untouchable mystery. But religions don't have a monopoly on that awe and wonder. Emerson and his friends back in the 19th century stood up for personal relationships with mystery. I've been reading a book by Michael Pollan, a new one called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And he makes a fairly firm case for there's all kinds of ways to this mystical, transcending experience. Now, the English word transcendence comes from Latin, trans, meaning across or beyond, and scandare, to climb. Escalar is the closest to cognate there in Spanish. It, to climb beyond is what transcendence means. We have to climb outside of the walls that we build around our different fields of knowledge. We have to climb outside the walls of temples, mosques, churches, etc., and see the bigger picture, the timeless. We get into the heart of those deepest of memory, of values, and then we take responsibility for this cosmos that we see around us. We climb beyond in relationships with each other, in nature and stories, as I said. Michael Pollan's book contends that we can use entheogens, which we used to call psychedelics, but now they're called entheogens, in theos, God into people. I guess it comes as a surprise to traditionalists, but you know, we non-believers, um, we, we who have no religion at all, also experience mystical things and transcendence. And it doesn't mean we don't have uh, the same emotional range as other people, and we also contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman put it. We non-believers are here in the now, striving to serve the people who are here now, the living things here now, and we want to preserve this for the future. We transcend by trying to get out of petty nationalisms and authoritarianisms, ignorance, xenophobia, and we climb toward a view of a world of cosmopolitan delight where everyone is free and able to travel and work and live in democracy. Rather than bowing within the walls of a tradition, we non-believers climb out of those boxes. The Tao Te Ching, the source of Taoism, put it, puts it this way. Forget knowledge. Stop being an expert then everybody is better off. When we stop talking about justice, we find honest compassion. 
When we drop rhetoric and stop scheming, there we find there's no theft. Three things lead toward understanding the ways of the creative universe. One, seeing simply. Two, acting in accord with nature, Mr. Lorax. And three, forgetting selfishness. Then expectations disappear, end quote. Now, that was 2,600 years ago when the Tao Te Ching was written down. It was probably a couple thousand years old of oral tradition before that. But that sounds like some pretty good wisdom to me. It wasn't until we began extracting massive quantities of fossil fuels and burning them on an industrial scale that we human beings were able to really destroy the world. We as a species can't go back to hunting and gathering, however. We have to go forward, and that's where the vision comes in. How do we get here now and see? the vision. When the creators of how we live now, and these were the people of the agricultural uh, Fertile Crescent, Egypt, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, when they began to theorize about how the universe worked, they looked at the massive powers of the universe. What did that? They started asking. And they called the primordial waters Tiamat. Tiamat. She was a primordial god. And then the term Tehom in ancient Hebrew is a derivative of Tiamat. And Tehom goes into the central Western creation myth of Genesis, and it becomes in English the word the deep. Tiamat becomes the deep. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Tiamat the primordial mother began to separate. And that word translated as God in the, in, in the English, in the Hebrew Bible, as Elohim, which means gods or the deities. El, Elohim, the God, and then the children of God. And of course, El becomes Allah in a different language. The children of El look down upon Tiamat, it appears that when these stories were first told, the terms for gods merely described the elements, earth, air, fire, water. We don't know for certain how people could see or did think about those, but this was long before the anthropomorphization of the gods. And then, of course, the gods became invisible. And that's when it became dangerous, when we could no longer see the gods and take care of them. First the gods were elements of nature, then they were like people, then they became invisible, and then they became totally divorced from anything that we did. And that's when bad things began to happen. Tiamat, the primordial mother of the salt seas, is still out there, isn't she? And she's still having a very stormy relationship with her lover Abzu, the freshwaters. We just saw one of those little lover spats in North Carolina. In our air-conditioned dreams, we forget to act in accordance with nature, as the ancient Taoist says. In this time of light and dark, let's think about those primordial forces and how we can take care of them instead of beating them. 
Blow winds and crack your cheeks, rage blow. You cataracts and hurricanoes spout till you've drenched our steeples. Hmm. Well, King Lear didn't have a chance, but maybe we still do. <laughs>